Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. For today, our conversation will focus on the many risks that lurk in a financial plan, even or especially when it has a 99% probability of success. We will focus on the importance of anticipating non-market financial shocks, strategies to gain control and confidence over your hard-earned savings, as well as ways for families to give themselves permission to spend freely in retirement. Joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Andrea Rothberg, wealth planning specialist, as well as Justin Waring, investment strategist, and Katie Williams, discovery strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Justin, I know you'll be leading today's conversation, so welcome. I'll pass it over to you. Thank you so much, Dan. So the purpose of today's podcast is to talk a little about what we call a Monte Carlo simulation. A Monte Carlo simulation is essentially a stress test that's based on thousands of possible market fluctuations. It takes your planned spending and your wealth and tries to assess What's the probability you'll be able to achieve all of your your financial goals uh, without running out of money before the end of your financial plan? Now, when we look at the results of a Monte Carlo simulation or this type of stress test outcome, what we end up with often is a single number that describes the results, a probability of success. Uh, This probability of success ultimately addresses market-related risks, the risk that Due to poor market performance and due to your spending from the portfolio, you will outlive your wealth. What it doesn't address is a whole state of non-market risks. What about the risk of living longer than you expected, spending more than you expected, or having too much money left, left over for inheritance? What about having a large estate tax bill? What about failing to make the impact that you would like to from a philanthropic perspective? The probability of success output from a financial goal analysis, probability of success, does not address these types of risks. And so with this in mind, I wanted to talk with Andrea Rothberg, our wealth planning specialist, and Kitty Williams, our discovery strategist, about ultimately what do we learn from these types of analyses and what are the limitations? So, Andrea, let's start with you first. When you look at a financial plan and you see a 99% probability success from the stress test, what are your initial thoughts? Well, Justin, you know, at UBS, I see thousands of plans a year. Um, often, I see plans that have identified and quantified every imaginable risk, the risk of living too long. They make the person live to be over 100 years old the risk of low, negative, or erratic market returns, as you talked about, the risk of spending too much. So often what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll raise the spending and look at what that spending, you know, what the plan looks like, what the what the success rate looks like if they spend more. Often we see all of these three risks on top of each other, and they're still 99% successful. Most times with a large net worth at the end of the plan. So, we're able to determine through something we have called Wealthway Legacy. We're able to determine how much we can take out of the plan today, right now, and still be at a 99% success rate. Now, sometimes that number's large. We put a number on that for you on your, and your family, and we want to give you something to think about. 
But whenever we look at a plan that's like this, 99% straight across the board, what it really tells us is that we have to go much deeper with you. We have to talk to you about what are your value systems? What matters to you? How do you really want to grow as people? What do you want to do to help family and friends? Are you philanthropic? What's your desired breakdown between spending on yourselves and spending on heirs? So really, Justin, what we're saying is we want to give you the permission to dream, right? You've worked hard and you've made it. Well, now what? What we want you to think through, what is your full potential as a person? Like we've all seen that Maslow's uh, hierarchy pyramid. We want mm-hmm. to really help you think through what is self-fulfillment to you. Now, another real, really important thing that happens for us is we start to think about importance of estate planning. So if the plan's at 99% with a large safety margin, have you done your estate plan? Do you know where you want your assets to go? To heirs, to charity, to the IRS? I mean, won't it be a shame if you spent all that time and saved all that money just to write a big check to the IRS to pay federal estate taxes? So we really want to guide you to get this estate planning done intentionally. Again, you need to think and think deeply about your core values and make a definitive plan for the disposition of your assets. So this all takes time, and it's daunting. It's not so easy. You have to think long and deeply. Um, You should engage in these discussions every time you meet with your financial advisor. You need to engage in these conversations when you talk to your children and other heirs, right? Like me, your financial advisor has seen thousands of plans, and he or she can guide you into identifying, addressing, and executing either plans for what you want to how you want to spend your money while you're alive or what you want to do when you die, right? So there are other ways to fail than to run out of money, right? As you said to me yourself, Justin, you can fail to reach the best you can be in yourself. You can fail to intentionally plan for your estate and execute that on the plan, that plan so that you don't write a huge check to the government, the money that you've saved over these years. And you can fail to use planning as an opportunity to pass on your core values in a meaningful way. That's a really good point. So you can be successful, but still end up with regrets. And ultimately, that's, <laughs> that's the gap we're trying to close. Um, so, Katie, let's move on to you. There are a lot of differences when we think about how families relate to spending and giving money. So, um, Andrea talked a little bit about excess wealth. What, what are some of the differences that you've seen based on different families and even between generations of a single family on their relationship with spending and giving money? You know, for all of the families I have met with, talked with, um, not one of them is exactly the same, right? I mean, they all have different life experiences, and those experiences contribute to how they view money. And so for some, it's a, it's a source of security and freedom. Others, it's a source of stress and concern, no matter how much they have. Um, and, and, and so the, the most important thing they have to do as a family is talk to each other about it, right? So, um, but even though every single family is a little bit different, there are some similarities I've seen over just years and years of doing this work. And, and the first happens to be generational. And by that, I mean, when you, when you talk to the wealth creators, so um, 
they they and their children, depending on when they created this wealth, they tend to have a lot more tangible memories of the work that was put in, perhaps the sacrifice that it took to create the wealth. And they really are looking to say, okay, what is it that I can do with this wealth? What is the meaning? There's usually a, they're, they're coming out with a deeper sense of meaning and they're looking for a, a sense of stewardship, right? And you contrast that to maybe some of the younger generations that really grew up in a more affluent position. Um, they tend to generate, or uh, or some of them, I will say, not all of them, but some of them tend to associate their, their wealth with a lifestyle, right? They get these wonderful opportunities to do these amazing things. And so that can sometimes create some conflict amongst families. And what I would say there is no matter what your thoughts are on money, no matter what your view is and how it makes you feel, because it's ultimately so important, you have to have these conversations amongst the family members and amongst the generations. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I feel like even individuals have, they sit somewhere on that spectrum between um, viewing money, viewing their wealth as needed to be steward versus funding a lifestyle. So yeah, it's, it's obviously very difficult to have this conversation with, with the family across generations, but that's one of the things that financial advisors can help out with as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So Andrea, um, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that many people are hesitant to really actually spend down their money in retirement, even with a 99% probably success some families don't really feel secure that they'll be able to afford their retirement. And so this ends up with them potentially delaying spending decisions to the point where they end up with a suboptimal retirement, to say the least, where they they end up with more wealth at the end and less enjoyment in retirement. So what are some strategies that you'd recommend to help build confidence in the financial plan so that you know a family can follow through on spending in retirement? Well, there's all sorts, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm going to repeat some of what I said before, right? There's a lot of things that we can do here that your financial advisor can do with you um, to make sure that you feel comfortable. So we can stress test the plan for all the risks we talked about, longevity, market, overspending. We, through Wealthway Legacy, we can put a specific number on what can be taken out of the plan and still be at 99%. We can tell you, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Client, you know, you can take out X dollars and still be at a 99% success rate. We find that really, really gives people a lot of confidence. We can also model in and build protection for other risks that specifically concern you, like inflation, Social Security or pension cuts, health care or long-term care. Right? We might consider something like an annuity or a long-term care insurance plan to hedge against those risks. So once we've worked with you and defined and quantified the risks, we can rerun the plan to make sure it still looks good. Right? Then we come back, we regroup. Right? And again, I can't stress enough that conversations like this take time. And I agree with Katie because it's conversations that you have to have with your financial advisor but also with your family, with your kids, with your heirs, right? You have to go back several times over a few months to unlock the answers because my experience has been that the first time out, people often don't know what the answers are. They've been busy working and saving and have never allowed themselves to think about it. So we're giving you the permission to dream, right? 
we help you address the two most pressing issues. So think about the Maslow's pyramid there. What can you do to self-actualize while you're alive? And how can you plan your estate to go where you want it to go, when you want it to go, and not waste the money that you spent all that time earning and saving? That's really well put, Andrea. And yeah, obviously, one of the things that you, you've mentioned uh, a couple times is this idea of X dollars that could be taken out of the plan and still still be 100% or well, 99% successful. So Katie, when we look at a plan and we see that there's a lot of excess wealth, uh, assets that exceed the spending needs of the first generation, on the one hand, that's obviously great news. But However, we often find that there isn't a well-defined plan for passing on the excess wealth and either to family members or to charities. And although this is a good problem to have, it can be a source of stress for families. So can you tell our listeners, what are some strategies you'd recommend for families to start conversations about inheritance and, and donating wealth? Yeah, you bring up a good point, you know, that there are no inherent strategies. And again, that's because every family is different. But for some reason, there's a lot of taboo about talking about money in families. Um, for some of us, it is just nothing we were raised with and we feel it exposes too much. But within the family base, I can't stress just starting as young as possible to talk about money. It's not about talking about an inheritance. It's just about talking about your relationship with money and how you make financial decisions, right? For example, we, you know, we do this with nutrition. I talk to my kids all the time about you don't eat dessert before dinner. And it's the same as in our family, you don't spend before you save. It's very similar, right? Like we talk about what goes on your dinner plate. Why can't we talk about that? Um, mm-hmm. and actually in our house, we have this little motto called live, give, save. And let me say that slower, <laughs> live, give, save. And the idea behind it is when, when the kids get money for a gift, let's say they get $20, you know, for a Christmas present, they know that that's not all to be spent, right? Some of it is, that's the live. Give is how much we're going to put aside to donate or go buy supplies if there's a fundraising, you know, or, um, uh, you know, maybe for a pet charity. My kids are really into animals. And then save. Some have to go into the bank to save for later. So they understand that. And that, that has nothing to do with a legacy. It has nothing to do with an inheritance. It's just about creating a framework of how they relate to money when they receive it or earn it. Um, the second piece is, you know, as you're talking to kids about this, then think about starting family meetings. This doesn't have to be weekly. And I would do this maybe as the kids get a little older. But talk about maybe your annual giving strategy and ask for their input. Right. So um, I worked with a client who did an incredible multi-generational family giving meeting where as the patriarch, he would match at a certain multiple, whatever the, the grandchildren or great grandchildren or even his children wanted to give away, as long as they could present to the family why the organization was why they wanted to support that organization and what the organization did. In our family, it's a lot simpler. We just talk to them and say, okay, listen, this is what we're going to do. This is how much money you've saved. Let's talk about why you want to get involved. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be just money. You can talk about the values that these organizations are supporting in terms of are you giving your time? Maybe you're giving your money. And all of that is going to help discuss those values that, that are driving those financial decisions and open up those conversations within one family or multiple generations. Um, 
And I think these, these meetings, they don't have to be formal, but they are a great time to discuss it, to start discussing your estate plan. So maybe the kids are older, right? They're independent. They're on their own. And our research here at EDS shows us that across the generation, they all agree that the parents should bring up the topic of inheritance, right? No matter the size. Um, and the research also says that, you know, once these heirs understand the estate plan and the intention behind it, they're way, they're much less likely to have a disagreement with their siblings or their other heirs at the time it's distributed, right? So it's just about bringing it out into the open and having a forum where they're expecting this conversation, you know, maybe it's, hey, listen, maybe your dad and I, we or your mom and I, you know, we just met with our estate planning attorneys. We want to sit down with you when we do our giving meeting this year and just kind of lay out what we've set up so that you know who to talk to. I know it's an uncomfortable conversation. We don't like addressing this, but really it's a sign of love in that you're gifting them the comfort of knowing what's happening. So again, it all comes back to communication and just open dialogue with your kids. Thank you, Katie. I think that's a really great framework. I'm excited to, to do that with my own family. And, you know, I think one of the aspects that when it comes to inheritance is that it's not, it doesn't have to be an end of life conversation. You know, most, most, most families that are in a position to leave an inheritance also have some plans at least to give away wealth while they're alive. And you can kind of get a test run to see how responsible your children are with money when you get out smaller amounts throughout your life maybe helps you be more confident about, you know, their ability to handle a large inheritance uh, down the line. But, uh, you know, as, as you guys have mentioned, um, often one of the main, one of the main struggles that, that wealthy families have is I'm worried about leaving too much money to my children. I'd, I'd like to leave them enough that they can do anything, but not so much that they can do nothing to, to paraphrase a quote from Warren Buffett. Um, so thank you guys both, uh, Andrea and Katie, for joining us to talk about this. Obviously, as a next step, you know, if you're interested in this subject, talk about it with your financial advisor. This is this is one of these things that, um, as Andrea mentioned, it's important to chip away at these topics uh, throughout your meetings with your financial advisor. Uh, it's gonna it's not gonna be solved overnight, but make sure that you're addressing both market and non-market-based risks. So build a financial plan that is, that is holistic and fully represents your family's objectives and, and constraints. And then also, you know, start the dialogue with your family about what wealth means to you and, the, and what's the purpose of this wealth. Because at the end of the day, I think that this is, this is a source of cohesion for a family, not a source of friction, but ultimately dialogue and conversation are the key to that relationship. So thank you for listening to our discussion uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have another version of this uh, podcast series soon. Timeframes may vary. Strategies are subject to individual client goals, objectives, and suitability. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial results can or will be achieved. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. UBS Wealthway is an approach incorporating liquidity, longevity, legacy strategies that UBS Financial Services, Inc. and our financial advisors can use to assist clients in exploring and pursuing their wealth management needs and goals over different time frames. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial results can or will be achieved. All investments involve the risk of loss, including the risk of loss of the entire investment. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for information purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 